0: listener production Welcome to episode 2 of From Zero Startup Insider. I'm Adam Schwab. On today's episode, chief investment officer of The Motley Fool and host of the Good Oil podcast, Scott Phillips. Scott is an expert on all things investing, trading, and stocks. And there are lots of theories about the markets and how and when to trade. Thousands of articles, podcasts, and videos. It's easy to get lost in it all. So I wanted to get to the heart of the issue and ask Scott straight up about that age old adage. Is making money in stocks about timing the market or time in the market? You've been in investment markets for, I'm thinking about 25 years now, mostly at Motley Fall. I think you're one of the best podcasters in Australia for business. So it's great to get your insight uh, today. So, let me just start from, from the beginning. A lot of people who listen to this show are, are probably quite techy, small businessy, maybe haven't had as much experience in public markets. What are some of the real common, really common mistakes you see young investors make as they start to invest in the market?
1: Yeah, Adam, good day. Thanks for having me, mate. Um, look, a couple of things probably. The first thing I'd say is unrealistic expectations. In everything else in life, we know things take a long time and we know there are lots of errors among all the successes. And the successes are well and truly worth it and cover off the losses. But when it comes to investing, somehow we think we need to be able to make a lot of money, make it really quickly and make it without making mistakes. And it just doesn't happen that way. And you know that and I know that. But when you're just starting out in investing generally, that's probably the biggest one. Is just that idea of like, oh, I'm no good at this or why haven't I made money yet or this stock's not going up I'll sell it and buy something else that might go up instead so that's the big one um, so time frames and impatience are probably they're the, the two sides of the same coin but to my mind they're the biggest mistakes people can make the other one's listening to the uh, old cab driver brother-in-law uh, jumping on the latest fad so kind of you know just just buying the cool thing or the popular thing or the latest thing um, people will know that you know lithium stocks taking a belting cannabis stocks were big once upon a time they've taken a belting um, you know sometimes the hot money chasing something is a contrarian indicator It's a reminder that what goes up often does come back down
0: one of the, the great uh, i don't necessarily agree with it myself but one of the great theories of the market is you've got to be in the market for the long term stocks always got to go up in the long term and if you look at the since 1997 that's absolutely been true but if you look at japan since 89 that certainly hasn't been true how much is it time in the market versus timing the market in, in your view and what, what you've experienced
1: yeah, so I actually... I will disagree with you slightly, mate. I do think it is time in the market for almost the, the most part. And there are always going to be exceptions. Um, Japanese stocks were obviously overvalued at that point. NASDAQ stocks, the big tech crash uh, 22 years ago now, mate. You're making me feel <laughs> old. Um, the NASDAQ felt like 80%, right? From stupid, stupid, stupid levels. And so it's, you know, it's not the case that every company will make money from every price. Just That's not true, and so to your point, it's not just buy anything, who cares what it is. But generally speaking, here's my general approach. I don't think we've seen the peak of human endeavor yet. We have not seen the peak of capitalism. And if we haven't, then there are better times ahead. Now, at some points in time, you can pay too much for those assets, and those are two great examples of, of market level times. But even then, even with the NASDAQ, even the Japanese market, if you'd have bought regularly, before, during, and after those peaks, you still made an absolute mozza. So I think sometimes there are absolutely bad times to buy. Certainly in hindsight, they're obvious. At the time, even the, even the, even the smart people were buying at the top of the NASDAQ boom, right? Um, so there are, there are times where you've got to say, hey, the crowd might be wrong. But generally speaking, the longer you invest, the more asset prices tend to go up over time. No guarantees, uh, but that's what tends to happen.
0: I know you're a, a Warren Buffett fan like, like, like many of us uh, I am <laughs> I think Buffett uses a, a broad measure I think he compares GDP to the to the overall market and look at GDP to the I think the overall capitalization of the market and I think if you looked at it what well, last year it was it was ringing red significantly ringing red we saw this in, in 2007 we saw it in 1999, 2000 uh, probably was the same in in '87 in uh, where are we now so the market's corrected somewhat I think the NASDAQ's down 40 or 50% now, and certainly some stocks, Facebook's down 61%, Alassian's down 40 Some stocks are down a lot, others aren't as much. You look at the overall market, how do you see the overall market given the sort of very dualistic kind of approach we're yeah. seeing at the moment?
1: This is such a, such a difficult question, and I, 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 we've only got a short amount of time. Um, the market's changed so much you know, you, you would know better than most people that the opportunities brought about by the internet, the o- opportunities for, for clever entrepreneurs to really harness some of the great new business models that have been uh, made possible by the internet actually change the way that businesses themselves are valued. And so I'm, I've got one foot in both camps here. Uh, my general view is if I think Warren Buffett's wrong, I'm probably the one who's wrong. So that, that's my starting point. Um, but, but I think this is the one area where I think his old structure, the old idea may not necessarily hold. And here's why. If these businesses can grow as quickly as we think some of them can then they are worth it's worth paying more for them now than you would have back in the day in the 1950s if you're going to create a steel mill empire right making lots of steel you open one steel mill that cost well back then millions of dollars probably there's today tens or hundreds of millions um, and then you, you you've kind of run that for a few years you got it up to profit you made some extra cash you convinced the bank to lend you some more money then you open a second steel mill then a third one then a fourth one and as I said, you know better than most people that reaching a global audience or even a significantly sized local or regional audience is actually faster than a better, quicker, cheaper than it's ever been. And so the opportunity to scale some of these businesses is massive. Should we pay more for Facebook than for a steel mill? Probably, yeah, because the, the sheer economics suggest that it's worthwhile. So on one hand, we are still over 100%. So that Buffett ratio you said, uh, over 100% should suggest the market's overvalued. And if the market's wrong about that growth, then it absolutely is overvalued. But I have a sneaking suspicion that some of those businesses that seem highly valued based on what we're paying for them now, if their futures are real, if those growths can be delivered, if they can turn those into profitable businesses and and meaningfully profitable businesses, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we look back and say the Buffett Ratio broke back at some point after 2010 or 12 or 15 um, because where we're recognising the value of those companies much earlier than we would have if we had to wait until they built their 100th steel mill or their 1,000th car dealership, uh, the internet's just changed the game.
0: Interesting you talk about internet businesses and, and what we saw, really what we saw last year, or last few years, but it crescendoed probably like last year, it was, it was the... the f- Ignorance of of price to earnings multiples or or EV EB, 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 yeah. EBITDA and EBITDA itself is is really questionable uh, <laughs> earnings before I tricked yep, them all that but we went to a widespread use of of price re- of price to revenue multiples uh, I think Atlassian hit thirty five times sales and this is a business that hasn't really ever made money or hasn't made lately it, it says it does but it does some interesting things with with op, with, with the way it treats options for employees. So you had a lot of businesses that that were giving these, these ridiculous multiples that historically again Buffett doesn't like EBITDA multiples, let alone price up. us. So we had all these businesses on the on these crazy multiples, and now I've seen definitely a retraction to that. So SaaS businesses sort of halved in valuation. Uh, most NASDAQ businesses have some have dropped by sort of 70-80%. How much is the 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 last six months difference? It's just that rationality has come back to the market. So you say that sort of Buffett's broken, but in some ways. Maybe Buffett was always (laughs) there, and then what was broken was people started using (laughs) these crazy multiples.
1: Oh, no, sorry, that's always true, by the way. I'm not saying that these things were reasonably priced the whole way through. Um, I think the, the Buffett ratio overall, I think, might be broken, but I agree with, I, I agree with him and I agree with you. I've, I hate price to sales multiple, so I, I despise them. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, what, you know, um, executive remuneration, right? They say, hey, Jack's getting paid this much, so I should get paid a little bit more than Jack. And then Jill says, well, hang on, uh, John's been paid more than Jack and I want to be paid more than John, so I want more money. And this whole norm referencing thing of you look around and say, everyone's doing it, so I want a little bit more. That's what I think happened with price to sales ratios. Was like somehow we convinced ourselves that five was okay, so therefore eight was a bit of a stretch. But everything went to eight. Well, then ten was a bit of a stretch, but probably okay. And when you the, the other big problem investors do is they look around and say, well, it's cheaper than the rest of them, or it's about the same value as the rest of them. And that's exactly the time that people absolutely were doing that twelve months ago, eighteen months ago. To your point, they're looking around and saying, well, hang on, you know, Atlassian's on this valuation. That's I'm only half that. Therefore, my stock's, stock's cheap. Uh, and what the, you know, the simple reality is, they're all. Well, all of them, a lot of them were just stupid expensive and people were just not connecting the dots. They got so caught up with the growth thing, they really got carried away. I do think, by the way, there are some cheap tech businesses right now that are profitable and actually do have really good business models that can take them a long way into the future. Uh, but you're right. If you pay too much for stuff or you simply let go of, you know, um, the, the Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner, calls EBITDA BS earnings. He doesn't use the word BS. He actually uses the word because Charlie <laughs> Munger does that. Uh, but you're exactly right. These, these things are shortcuts that actually are really useful sometimes. If I look at the operating earnings of a business, I will look at EBITDA to understand it. But valuing a business, assuming that interest, tax, depreciation, normalization don't exist, that's madness, right? That's where things get silly. So I completely agree with you. Um, I think some of the tech companies are probably still cheap. I think a lot of them were way too expensive. Some of them are still too expensive too, by the way. Um, and you pay, I'll, I'll throw another Buffettism as a just for the fun of it. Uh, Buffett says you pay a high price for a cheery consensus. When everyone's when everyone's happy, when everyone's excited, when everyone's thinking positively, that's when the price are going to go through the roof. And everyone looks around and says, well, everyone else is paying that. I guess I should too. That is one way to the poorhouse.
0: One of Buffett's other great quotes is: "Be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful." Yeah, should yes. what? And the market's tough now because should we be greedy or fearful now? Because it's yeah. it's we haven't fully. If you look at Cape Schiller, you look at whatever mm. historical norm, we still seem pretty expensive. Uh, certainly, Australian market, yeah. Nasdaq was adjusted, but uh, are you fearful or greedy now?
1: Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you. I'm I'm sticking roughly halfway in between. Um, I am not selling anything. I'm not worried. I, I don't see a lot of... I mean, I don't, I don't invest in a lot of stupid tech stuff. And I, I don't mean all things is stupid. I mean, the, the stupid tech stuff. Um, you know, there, there was a whole... Uh, take Take the... Um, buy now, pay later is a great example recently, right? Where everything was through the roof because all of a sudden Afterpay was going to take over the world. And then Zip was the next Afterpay and then Sezzle was the next Zip and all of a sudden everyone could justify these prices. So there's, there's a lot of rubbish that didn't deserve to be anywhere near as expensive as it was and that's come down a lot. I think overall... It's hard to argue, <laughs> I also don't invest at total market level, generally speaking, right? So I'm an individual investor generally with some ETFs. Um, there's some really cheap stuff. I think some of the retail stocks are cheap because everyone hates them right now. I also think the banks and the Ritz, uh, Woolies and coals are expensive because everyone loves them right now because they're so-called defensive. And our market, if you look at it, we've been spared most of the losses out of the US, partly because we didn't have the valuations they had, but also because we had banks, which are doing really well in a high, in a, you know, as, as rates increase, and we've got miners. Oil price, iron ore price has been pretty good, so the Australian market's been spared a lot of that stuff, and it's it's important to sort of break that up. I think there's some cheap retail out there. I think there's some expensive so-called defensive stocks. Um, on balance, at a market level, I'm pretty agnostic right now. I don't think it's particularly screaming cheap, nor do I think it's particularly expensive. Um, again, that being said, I don't own any of the banks. I don't. I own Fortescue and none of the other miners. So, like you know, in terms of my approach, I'm I'm not buying the market in the same proportion. If I owned the market with banks and miners. I would expect that my short to medium-term returns are not going to be spectacular because those things are already pretty expensive.
0: One more on the banks that you mentioned, I I hate the banks, not as institutions or maybe as institutions, but also <laughs> as investments. We've had this <laughs> yes. 30-year yes, yes. bubble of all, residential mm-hmm. bubble of, monu- I'm not sure, we probably have time for your views on the property yeah. market and nor do we have for mine, but we've had this incredible boom, certainly since 97, but arguably longer, where, where property properties essentially yeah. trading yep. on a P multiple of sort of 50 uh, you've had, uh, interest rates at ridiculous lows because central banks have, have gerrymandered everything. So you've got a, a period where look, we look like we're normalizing inflation had been materializing in assets and it's finally come across to consumer prices. And it looks like it's in the U S it's set in for at least the next six months. Australia, not quite there. We've got, a, it's a, the banks feel incredibly risky and the banks have obviously come off, but it looks like there could be a really, a real adjustment in, in property prices in the next few years, which eventually comes back to banks. Uh, my my view is all the banks are insolvent and eventually become insolvent is my view completely off the planet is there a, how bearish or bullish are you on banks
1: um i am moderately bearish um i don't i don't think necessarily all banks need to be insolvent So, in the range of outcomes you're absolutely right is one, of those, is one of those potential outcomes i personally don't think it's the most likely outcome for frankly societal reasons as much as financial ones uh the, the reality of the way we treat house prices and frankly politicians treat the housing market means at some level i mean the banks were probably technically insolvent during the gfc anyway um, and because prices fell, they just chose not to foreclose on loans. Uh, same with COVID, once you, once you forgive that stuff and pretend it's not going to necessarily need to be paid back, you can you can forgive anything. So they were probably and I don't mean technically insolvent in terms of I don't want to get in the, the accountants unhappy here, but in a, in a reasonable view of the world, had they required their borrowers to pay back the loans at the time and pace they were supposed to, and they didn't, that, you know, we would call a business insolvent that, that couldn't pay its bills. We let the, the homeowners get away with that and for societal reasons, right? No, no problem with what they did. Um, so I don't think we will end up in the same place you do, but I could absolutely see that it would happen. I think there is, the, probably the banks are expensive. Um, Australian property is expensive. So you've got an expensive business whose business is expensive assets, i.e. property, and you've got an economy that has been running hot for years and is facing some, some headwinds. Now, best case scenario, banks probably bump along the bottom and you probably do okay-ish with bank shares. By the way, uh, NAB, I think it is, is down 12% over the last five years when the market's up. People don't understand that's the, the decline they've gone through. People think banks are safe house as houses, the
0: 97 story. Isn't NAB lower than it was 20 years ago? I don't probably. think NAB's actually yeah. increased. Yeah. Obviously, there's dividends, so that, that impacts that. I, I reckon difference. NAB share price is lower than it was in like 03 or something like that.
1: You're probably right. You're probably right. So look, I, I, don't, I think the banks, there's not much upside, which means there's lots of potential downside for the reasons you've highlighted. And if you're buying an asset and you're saying, well, there's not much chance it does better than this, but a big chance it does worse than this. Do you want to buy that? Now, you know, and I know, you're saying, well, no, I really, really don't. So I don't, I don't, I don't hate the banks. I don't think people should necessarily sell all their banks. But most Australians, particularly older Australians, have got 60, 70% of their portfolio in the banks because they've done so well for 30 years. But at some point you say, hey, the race has been run. Maybe it's time to diversify, get out of some of those things. If you need income, great. There are heaps of other income generators out there that are just not systemically as dangerous as the banks to own. And some of those things where you've got, well, heads I don't win much, tails I lose a lot. That's just a bad bet. You go, go and find a different bet to make.
0: Got two minutes left. Can I get a quick view? Crypto, <laughs> would, you, would you be a buyer? Are you, are you, do you hate it? Uh, is there a possibility that could be a, 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 real, a real asset class?
1: Would I buy it? No. Do I hate it? No. Could it be a real asset class? Yes. Um, I bought $100 worth of Bitcoin about seven years ago. I think I'm up on that three or fourfold. Um, I bought it to follow along. Uh, to my mind, it doesn't qualify as an investment-grade asset the way I would define it, not because I dislike it, but because there's no income from it and you're speculating on a future use. And that's fine. You can intelligently speculate for sure. And so I'm being a bit pedantic. Um if it goes to a dollar, am I surprised? No. If it goes to hundred thousand dollars, am I surprised? No. Um, now, in that in that scenario, it's it's a, it's a bet, it's a speculation, and people can absolutely do that. Uh, I don't think you can justifiably say it's an investment because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything, profits, not even sales, back to price to sales. There's no dividends, there's no income. You're just hoping that more people use it at some future point and it might be worth more. That might be a super intelligent speculation. Um, if I'm an as an investment advisor, do I think it's, it's an investment grade asset? No, not yet. Um, I'll miss out if it goes up, right? And that's okay. Um, if it goes down i'll also miss out and that's okay (laughs) it's even more than okay um but sometimes you just gotta say you know what too hard pile i don't know i don't own gold for the same reason adam i you know it's it's it's, to my mind digital gold to some degree digital cash maybe i don't i don't i don't invest in currencies either for the same sorts of reasons so um i don't hate it i wouldn't recommend it um but it's intelligent speculation
0: perfect thanks so much for your time scott it was super informative been a pleasure thank you mate that was scott phillips chief investment officer of the motley fool and host of the good oil podcast i'm adam schwab and this has been episode two of from zero startup insider this show was produced by ed gooden and imaged by link kelly thanks so much for listening